Welcome to this podcast of the Sunday Message from Hope Gateway in Portland, Maine. We'd love to have you join us for worship Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., currently on Zoom and broadcast live on Facebook. Visit our website at hopegateway.com to learn more. Whether you live near or far, we hope you find this message to be meaningful. Wherever you are, join us in doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. My name is Ophelia Hukini. She, her, and hers are my pronouns. I'm really happy to be chatting with you all today about something I'm kind of passionate about. It may sound kind of boring at first glance, but I promise it's going to be more interesting um, once we start to dig into it. I don't know. Maybe you all are huge fans of ritual, too. So, what good is faith? What use is faith? What difference does faith make? Why bother? Sarah kicked off this series, and then Diane talked last week about humility and mystery, how faith is a door into these spiritual practices. And Alan spoke two weeks ago about the power of faith to impel awe and wonder and imagination. So today, I'd like us to reflect on the matter of ritual and to the question, what good is faith? And to that question, I propose, faith is good because through it, we get to encounter ritual. Now, before you decide that you're going to go ahead and take a nap through the rest of this sermon, I want to say that I don't think ritual is the same thing as repetition. I think it's more than just a habit. And when undertaken with intention, Ritual is less of a circle that we go around and around and around, and it's more of a spiral that we travel with this ever-expanding, ever-contracting, ever-changing perspective. The word ritual comes from the word rite, R-I-T-E. I think it's English by way of French and Spanish, and it involves observing carefully and counting And so I think ritual forces us to slow down and to observe carefully. In observing, we may come away satisfied, or we may come away surprised, or perplexed, or bewildered, like Jesus' friends and disciples may have been at the Last Supper. We find one account of that Last Supper in the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 22, verses 14 through 20. It says, When the time came, Jesus took his place at the table, and the apostles joined him. He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I tell you, I won't eat it until it is fulfilled in God's kingdom. After taking a cup and giving thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. I tell you that from now on, I won't drink from the fruit of the vine until God's kingdom has come. After taking the bread and giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after the meal and said, this cup is the new covenant by my blood, which is poured out for you. 
when the Last Supper took place, it was at that time already a moment that was wrapped up in an observation of ritual. According to Luke, this was a sacred meal held on the annual day of unleavened bread, or the Passover, which is a holiday commemorating how the people of Israel were spared on a night of terror that visited the nation that had enslaved them. So this was already a deeply symbolic meal, and what Jesus said and did that night with his friends became in itself a different kind of commemoration. To me, it's helpful context to know that some ancient religions around and before Jesus' time depicted gods who ate their followers on altars in anger or as sacrifices. The bodies of the followers were broken for their gods. And it's also helpful context to me to know that Jesus' contemporaries considered blood unclean. It was a religious and also a hygiene concern at the time. Animal sacrifices had to be drained of all their blood before they were considered okay. People who gave birth or menstruated had to stay away from the rest of the community. To touch blood made you unclean for a period of time, and then you were okay again. And so it's in the midst of a Passover Seder, Jesus said, this is my body, which I give for you, and this is my blood, which is poured out for you. Eat and drink and think of me. So I think that meal must have been, to the people who were present, a portal into the strange and unknowable. To this day, we are still mystified by this gift. But I confess, I love communion, and not just because the bread at Hope Gateway is awesome. I love its simplicity and its mystery. I love the meaning that it takes on by way of how we participate in it. I love what it means when we state that the table is Jesus's, not ours, and that it is open to all. I really loved communion when I was at a conference for indigenous college students 10 years ago in the Navajo Nation. We passed around grape Fanta soda and fry bread, so these really common, ordinary foods from home. And I think that helped to drive home the point that these students did not have to give up their cultural identities in order to be followers of Jesus. I really loved communion when Hope Gateway was entirely virtual for the first, what was it, year and a half of pandemic? Year and a half? Jeez. I loved how we, by our actions, proclaimed that the bread, or in one child's case, not naming names, the chocolate cake on our tables at home was indeed blessed. And I have loved how we do communion at Hope Gateway in person at 5092, that no criteria or ordination is required to serve the elements, that some days we receive the bread and the cup from very young children, and that this is as much a mystery to them as it is to the adults. The Franciscan priest, Father Richard Rohr, says of communion in his book, The Universal Christ, your only real prerequisite for, for participation or worthiness is, in fact, your capacity for presence yourself. This is not accomplished just in the head. Presence is a unique capacity that includes body, heart, mind, and whatever we mean by soul. Only presence can know presence, and our real presence can know real 
presence. What is sacred in ritual is perhaps the ceremony, perhaps the remembering, perhaps the liturgy, maybe the bread. But certainly what is sacred are the hands that serve the meal and the mouths that partake together in the ritual. According to Father Richard Rohr, some mystics believe that communion actually joins together those who partake not only to the suffering of Jesus, but to the suffering of the whole world. We take this meal together as a whole world. Communion is an invitation to presence. Faith is an opportunity to encounter rituals like communion time and again. It's like a finger gently beckoning into the spiral of companionship with God, with each other, and with what is sacred. I also undertake a morning ritual of sorts that is definitely not unique to me. I know Hope Gateway is a congregation of a lot of animal lovers, and especially people with dogs. So this may be a familiar experience to you. Every morning, I walk through the woods with our dog, Benjen. We're very fortunate that our home abuts a forest with a couple of trails that run through it. Prior to living in Maine, I moved around a lot. And now I'm learning to belong to someplace. My daily ritual of walking with Benjen opens me up to a year-long rhythm of seasons. And right now, I get to enjoy the rich smell of rotting mushrooms and rain-dampened leaves. I feel spider webs break against my face. And the last hermit thrushes, which were a herald of warmer days, have flown south again, taking with them their glass-like melodic songs. I think autumn is a time of reckoning with time itself. Walking with a dog makes me a recipient oops, sorry, to the beauties of the passage of time. By participating in the ritual, I am delighted and sometimes bewildered by God's creation. I learn something new every time we go around the sun. I'm learning, for example, that what's called the strawberry moon really does promise wild strawberries in the woods. At least around here it does. I'm starting to learn the late summer territory and schedule of a particular porcupine to save us another vet bill. These are the rhythms of a small slice of a small place to which I am learning to belong. It feels to me like a ritual of observation and gratitude. It is ordinary and mundane, but by my estimation, kind of a holy account of the spiral of time. The author and scientist Robin Wall Kimmerer writes in her widely beloved book, Braiding Sweetgrass, about a nature-based ritual in her family's life. As a child, she went camping every summer with her family, and in the mornings, her father would pour out a first cup of coffee onto the earth and say, here's to the gods of Tahawas. Tahawas is the Algonquin name for Mount Marcy, which is the highest peak in the Adirondack Mountains. And Robin's father began doing this actually as a way of just cleaning out the, the grounds, the coffee grounds, from the spout of the coffee pot. But some days there were no grounds to clear at all. And yet, he poured out a cup anyway. He said, it started out that way, but it became something else, a thought. It was a kind of respect and a kind of thanks. On a beautiful summer morning, I suppose you could call it joy. Robin herself goes on to say, 
That, I think, is the power of ceremony. It marries the mundane to the sacred. The water turns to wine, the coffee to a prayer. The material and the spiritual mingle like grounds mingled with humus, transformed like steam rising from a mug into the morning mist. One thing ritual does for me is that it helps me to locate myself in time and space. It's kind of like a nutrient-packed part of my faith life because it helps me to deflate and feel properly small when I'm bloated up with anxiety about the enormity of my problems or my shortcomings. And ritual helps me to remember that I am moored somewhere. And it doesn't always have to be the same somewhere, but that I belong to places and to times that are vast and holy. I'm someone with very little tradition or ritual in my own family of origin, and so I think I particularly crave the sacred nature of, of ritual. I am grateful to belong to a place, to a church, to a people, and to a certain stretch of the passage of time. Another thing ritual does in relation to my faith is that it's a chance to recall that we are body-soul conglomerates, all mixed up, and our body and soul are not very separate things. We are body and soul, and our faith practice is not just in our heads. It's not just cerebral. We don't merely think about the bread or believe thoughts about the cup. We actually eat, we drink, we participate with our bodies. The taking of bread, the greeting of friends, the bowing of heads, the uplifting of hands. Sometimes when my heart is not there yet and it's not ready to be in a posture of worship, I find that my body still leads me there anyway. Somewhere and in some configuration of the dance, the particularities of God meet you in this ballroom of ritual. And we may notice more of these particularities or correct what we believed before with each pass around the spiral. So I want to end with a thought that Robin Wall Kimmerer's words provoked in me. She says, again in Breeding Sweetgrass, what else can you offer the earth which has everything? What else can you give but something of yourself? Because of my Christian faith, it's hard for me to not also reflect on that question with regards to my faith. So I ask, what else can I offer God who has everything? What else can I give but something of myself? Ritual says in response that we can offer to God our presence. We can offer our careful observation, our movement around the spiral, and the loving words of a companion may be saying, I'm here, I noticed you, I thought of you, I'm with you. In the ritual of communion, we offer to God our presence. We eat, we drink. Communion is only one of many faith-related rituals available to our souls. You might find the ritual of song to be one that particularly feeds you or the ritual of morning prayer. But today is actually World Communion Sunday. And while our communion practice at 509 will be like what it is most Sundays, 
And while we may have come to regard it as ordinary, I hope the ritual still issues an invitation to you to come, to be present, to participate with your mind-body combination, and to be a companion in the suffering and joy and resurrection of the divine. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. To hear more about Hope Gateway and to discover how together we can do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God, visit our website at hopegateway.com.